0: Hello, Motown Philly family, you all need to know that this podcast is sponsored by the Speaker's Mechanic. The Speaker's Mechanic is a business enterprise of my co-host, Jason Hall, who is a communication skills coach, and he's also published author of a book called A Vocal Owner's Manual. He works with professionals who are looking to improve their communication skills. And I guarantee you that if you work with him, he will improve yours. Check out his book on Amazon. Again, it's called A Vocal Owner's Manual. And you will be certain once you check him out to improve and get better. Because here at Motown Philly, that's what we're all about. And that's what his brand, The Speakers Mechanic, is all about. Thanks so much for tuning in. And thanks to The Speakers Mechanic for this sponsorship. Hello and welcome to episode 33 of the Motown Philly podcast. I'm Tim Golden. I'm here with my co-host,
1: Jason Hall. What up, though?
0: And this is, again, episode 33 of the Motown Philly podcast. As usual, we like to start off by telling y'all how grateful we are. Jason, tell the Motown Philly family how grateful we are that they are our family. What Tim said, we're grateful.
1: (laughs) We are grateful, y'all. We are so grateful. What Tim said times a thousand. You guys are listening to us on a day to day basis and we get uh, messages dms Uh, you also get in our facebook uh, group and you talk to us and let us know what's going on and those things that we are we're happy to and we're trying to build our community around the motown philly podcast and spark conversations that affect each and every one of us on a day-to-day basis so we hear you we see you we want you to be more interactive and we
0: are grateful and thank you all for coming into the Motown Philly Podcast Facebook group. Well, we are going to get right into it today. Today on episode 33, our topic is trauma and communication. And as promised, we have a fabulous guest with us today. She is the lovely Miss Vita Starr, And we'll tell you a little bit about her and then bring her in to have what we think will be an excellent conversation that will add much value to what we do here at the Motown Philly Podcast. Vita Starr is a radio producer and trauma-informed care educator from South Central Los Angeles. She works with both private and public institutions to bring groups that are often forgotten or ignored to the forefront of political and social discussion. Her background is in community organizing, direct social services, and media she has worked with toddlers children teens and their families in various social service capacities including case manager for pregnant and parenting teens as well as program manager for big brothers big sisters specifically working with foster children and children whose parents have been incarcerated vita also worked as lead facilitator for los angeles county's department of Mental Health's Wraparound Program, helping youth and families as they navigate the foster system. As a trauma-informed care educator, she leads workshops on the link between health and childhood trauma. She has taught medical doctors, teachers, social workers, and therapists how to understand childhood trauma and how to make space for trauma-informed practice in their work. Remaining in her community of South Central Los Angeles, Vita attended the University of Southern California, that's USC y'all, and go Trojans, and earned her bachelor's degree in sociology. Her studies have influenced much of her work in both media and trauma-informed care by allowing her to broaden people's perspectives to understand the social and economic systems that impact our individual and personal experiences, excuse me, and Vita Star is also co-host of the Champagne Sharks podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, family and friends of the Motown Philly podcast, please join with Jason and I in welcoming the lovely, powerful, dynamic, Miss Vita Star. Vita, welcome! Welcome! To the Motown Philly podcast. So good to have you as our guest this month.
2: Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be have been invited. Thank you both. Well, as happy
0: as you are to have been invited, take that number and multiply it by about forty million because we are just that happy to have you. So, Vita, listen. Let's get right to it. Uh, Trauma informed educator. Talk to us a little bit, Vita, about the nature of your work. And what we want to do throughout our conversation is apply the principles of your work to each part of our Motown Philly motto. So here we're all about communication, connection and community. So start off telling us a little bit about what you do as a trauma educator. And how that work translates into work that deals with issues of communication. How does trauma impact our communication?
2: So, um, well, to start off, uh, trauma as a trauma-informed care educator, I train various groups. It could be parents. I train therapists, doctors, or whoever wants to hire me. Uh, to understand trauma and how it works in our bodies and also how do they how do you work with various groups and populations of people um as both you and them have probably dealt with some sort of trauma Mm -hmm. so in my in my classes i often teach basically how trauma works what it is how our brains operate and how our bodies are responding so we can have some sort of understanding of what's actually happening for us a lot of times we don't associate our physical health, our behaviors to our traumas in our childhood. These are things that are actually outcomes or, or even symptoms of something larger, and we don't realize it. So one of the things that I do is I try to make sure when I educate and I'm teaching people that they understand that trauma is in our bodies, is something that we're often responding to, and we don't even realize it, sometimes subconsciously. And it's important that we understand how our brains and bodies work in general, especially when it comes to dealing with situations that are tough for us, moments of fear, moments of connection, um, and getting to that other question. Um, basically trauma-informed care in in this perspective of connection, connection, communication, and, um, Community. community. These are three things that are actually extremely important because they can impact the ways in which we've been traumatized and it can also be important for our own healing in regards to our trauma. So if we think about a lot of the ways that we've been traumatized, we can probably look at ways that we've been traumatized within the communities that we exist in, right? Whether it's our family, whether it's our school and our peers, right? Whether it's our own neighborhoods, we can also think of ways that people have communicated things to us that have been traumatizing for us right Mm -hmm. and we can talk about the lack of connection or the constant driving of disconnection that has created some sort of trauma for us right so what what's ironic is that those are also the spaces that we need for, for healing we need to find healthy community we need to find spaces of healthy communication where we can both communicate and understand when others are communicating with us right and we also need to be able to find connection so that's really what i teach and that's what i often try to make sure we understand um a lot of times people don't understand that there's an associate there's a physical physiological association with these things these aren't things that are out in the ethos somewhere this isn't some magical thinking this isn't just some manifestation that you hear on you know the secret or something these these are actual physical tangible things that are happening for you and we often just feel like oh you know you just, just make better decisions that's mm-hmm. your problem you just don't make healthy choices and we even blame ourselves and then we judge others right not really taking into account well maybe i'm responding to something maybe i'm reacting to something that's not even happening in this moment it's something that might have happened to me that i don't even remember a time mm-hmm. when i was two right mm-hmm. i might not even visit might not even be able to remember it in my brain but my body is having this reaction mm-hmm. so that's often what i teach and i also teach of um, something called trauma-informed nonviolent parenting where i often work with parents and support them and teach them and understanding what's happening for their child and what's and what's happening in their development. Sometimes we're, you know, we're reacting to things that are can be very normal and very healthy. But in our own childhoods, we were punished for it. We were traumatized for behaving a certain way. And then we reenact that with our own children or the children around us. And in trauma and nonviolent parenting, I teach more than just parents. Even people who are, you know, just work with children in general, or aunts and uncles come to my class sometimes too so um yeah that's that's basically it in in a nutshell
0: wow wow Vita that's that's powerful now I I have a couple of follow-up questions for you but Jason you look like you're chomping at the bit so we're gonna let you come in and see if you can't uh can't ask Vita a few questions about what she's just told us because you've you said a lot of things that are very, very powerful. There, I want to follow up on them. But Jay, what? What? What are your thoughts on all um, that?
1: Um, I can just say, um, again, Vita Star, we we appreciate you being on and having this conversation with us. Tim and I pride ourselves to do the very best to have exploratory conversations about things that people don't like to talk about or feel uncomfortable talking about it. But I I know that I can say that as I hear you talk about um, trauma, informed education and and having the ability to help people and be a support to people to kind of walk through uh, those particular uh, incidents and, and circumstances, like it actually makes me warm inside because the element of healing that's connected to what you do. Like people we understand in this day and age that there's so much lack of awareness. Like we, we, a lot of us, we grow up and grow up through life. And we miss this main element of who we are in that self-awareness and the ability to learn and continuously grow. But to understand that we have all been in situations that has impacted us negatively in our lives and then have the ability to identify, to recognize or identify that. And then say, did I even finish? Did I ever process that before? Like, what did I do with that experience? Or I don't even remember that experience. I did see it and see it start, but I blacked out. And now I'm on the other side of it. And it's like, what had, what, what had happened? I guess my first question to dig a little deeper because I love the conversation and this pod, this episode might go up, might go up a minute y'all just listening because i'm so inquisitive about what vita has to share with us tonight i want to go back a little bit more because there's so many ways that we can go when it comes to trauma i often talk about communication as being a vast ocean to to begin to break apart and to begin to explore and to analyze and to become better at but I think trauma is its own little ocean, if you will, too, when it comes to being able to understand it and things of that nature. But you as an educator, I would like to know what got you there? Why did you start this journey? What, what might have happened to you in your walk, even going through sociology and studying that in college and in and, and all in all your studies, what made you land on trauma? and how you wanted to help in this community
2: that is so funny that you asked that i've never had that question asked to me in that way before very great question i mean Mm -hmm. love it um what makes that a challenge to answer though Mm -hmm. is that i would say there were so many things that happened at different times but also at the same time that led up to this road right Mm -hmm. so I didn't know about trauma informed care until about maybe how long have I I've been doing this now? When I started doing it, the first time I learned about it, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was getting hired by an organization to teach it, and I didn't even know what trauma informed care was. I had been studying trauma, I had been working with families, but I never heard of trauma informed care as a term, mm-hmm. right? So, before I get to how I got into the training, part, I started training and becoming an educator. I want to go back, go back a little some because your question kind of wanted to sound like you want me to go back a lot, mm-hmm. so I want to go back a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, like I like you guys read in my bio, you know, I grew up in South Central Los Angeles. I grew up in a single parent home uh, with a father who uh, was um, a, what they call a dry drunk. For people who don't know what a dry drunk is. A dry drunk is a person who is an alcoholic, but is no longer drinking. However, they still have the same behaviors of an abusive alcoholic. And so that was my father. We, I didn't know what a dry drunk was. I didn't even know he was abusive. I just, it was just my life. It was just normal. Right. Mm-hmm. I had heard stories about how abusive he was in the past to my mother. Um, like when she was pregnant with me, he would chase her down and beat her when he beat her, um, beat her head on the sidewalk um while she while she was pregnant with me um and that's and i'm going to talk about that more a little bit as to why that part of my life is important to know Mm -hmm. um and i had heard but i had also heard he had healed right because he went to church Uh, i was raised in a pentecostal church it turned out to be a cult Uh, where there was a prophet that we had to obey and listen to and get permission from to do certain things but that was also the place where my father got sober from when he was drinking because he was drinking when he was physically beating my mother so him going to church and you know so finding his spiritual you know getting spiritual he stopped drinking he stopped he was actually a heroin addict at 15 he stopped everything and this uh, religious space this church Helped him a lot to the point where he was able to go back to school. My father was uh, at one point he got kicked out of his own family's house was a bum on Skid Row. And he ended up with five degrees later, three of which came from USC. Right. One of them being a doctorate degree, including two dual master's degrees while raising two kids. Right. So you're talking about someone who when he got to this church that was the turnaround he also got custody of his kids during this time right because my mother thought okay he's doing better now he's 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 a, he's he maybe he's gonna be a good dad well he wasn't <laughs> i mean he did the best he could because later we found out he had bipolar disorder we didn't know this at the time um i didn't even know what that was you also thought he has narcissistic personality disorder right so at the time i'm being raised by this man he's suffering with mental illnesses untreated but he's in this church that's telling him he just needs Jesus and to cast the devil out and cast demons out to the point where he's saying he's saying these things literally and he's seeing things because he's hallucinating because he's got mental illnesses that are going around untreated right now being raised in a household like this and I'm going to share share some details again that are going to be important later on in the conversation but my dad would come home, right? Mm-hmm. And being in that situation as a child, I never knew which father I was going to get that day. So you have had the father that comes home and he, wants, he comes home with a box of Krispy Kreme donuts and wants to take you bike riding, right? Oh, that's daddy's girl. And then you might have the dad that comes home and he just starts swinging on you, <laughs> right? Because the dishes aren't washed, right? Mm-hmm. True stories. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you just never knew. So I grew up with this sort of mix of anxiety with my father. And on top of him being a narcissist, diagnosed, again, people just call people narcissists, but he's an actual narcissist, right? And my brother, who's two years younger than me, is also in the house. So I'm the only female in the house too, by the way. And I'm being raised by this narcissist. So my idea of love is all warped and confused. My understanding of our relationship is completely unhealthy because I'm the the fantasy of my father in our situation wasn't a real wasn't reality because you almost block out the abusive times and you focus on all those wonderful times you have with your dad because you, he's not a monster 24 7 right um at any rate so these kind of experiences I had growing up um with my dad eventually led me to some other issues my mental health when I was in my twenties, now to answer the question about how I got to studying like sociology, well, my father was a sociology major while raising us, <laughs> as a single dad. So these we were things. This was part of my good memories, right? Because mm-hmm. these are the conversations I'm having with my dad. These are moments we could we would talk about what he was studying. Our house looked like a library, like it literally looked like a library. We were on Section Eight housing in a you know in a rat infested apartment in South Central, but. Oh, I can get Maybe I can get to the maggot part Because we were talking before the show started sure. About how I hate flies right. But part of that is because every day We had to walk through a pile of maggots wow. To get to our house A literal pile of maggots Every day So I have a thing about flies um, But even in this situation My house looked like a library My dad was always studying So we talked about things from a sociological perspective It's pretty much how I think <laughs> Right Yeah um, when i got to college i wanted to major in journalism um however they told me i had to wait another semester to reapply for the journalism school and i was like "Nah, i'm gonna just take sociology and i was killing it in the sociology classes anyways because <laughs> right. i understood it right um it was only in fact it was only area of school i was actually killing it in. i wasn't doing too great in other areas because i was working a lot mm-hmm. um but at any rate that's what these things all kind of have, that's why I was saying these things were all happening different times, but also at the same time, leading up to this road. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sorry. We're going to say something. I was just like, wow, I I see it all coming together. (laughs) Yeah. So at a certain point in my life, um, my father had, uh, well, my father had gotten remarried, had another child. Mm -hmm. Um, I had already been moved out of the house. Well, my dad literally kicked me out at 18. (laughs) I had no choice. Mm -hmm. Um, our relationship wasn't the greatest but we were trying I thought we were trying to figure it out but then he relapsed he started drinking again after 24 years of sobriety Mm. and he lost his wife he became physically abusive to her Mm -hmm. um she left him the first time he had a moment started physically attacking her she literally left that day took her keys and picked up her son my baby brother and she she left never lost his she lost everything by the way she didn't go back and get her shit she i'm sorry even to cuss she didn't go back and get her stuff she left right um i didn't even see her again for years many years um and mind you this was someone that i loved i loved Mm -hmm. her i knew her for a long time so he he also began to have these episodes where he would call me and harass me call me 21 times in a row calling me names uh, saying he was gonna kill me, um, threatening my brother, um, calling me—you know—just you, you fat ugly bitch. I regret the day I came in your mother and I had you. Mm. I, I don't know if you have to bleep all this stuff out, but no, you good. I'm, trying- I'm with it. This is the real, like, yeah. Um, these are the kind of messages he's leaving on my voicemail, right? So I have—I don't maybe like at this point I'm probably in my mid twenties, mid to late twenties, and I have a whole meltdown a whole meltdown Mm -hmm. and i I don't see i don't realize this is what's happening to me i end up in an abusive relationship with a partner who's very much like my father because i also don't recognize narcissism because it was just love and it wasn't until later that i realized that i was in a, a narcissistic abusive relationship um because that's what i was used to there were people who don't understand what that means. Maybe I should explain that.
1: No, go um, there because it's so. Ch- I know. I think. I believe. Go there and speak about that.
2: <laughs> so the type of things my father would do, for example, um, and this again, this plays out later in my life. He, if I did it, by accomplished something, if I got an award, or and I did a lot of things growing up, and even till this day, I struggle with seeing them as accomplishments because my father always took them as his own.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Everything you do. As for when you have a narcissistic parent, they see basically you as them, they, they see themselves as you, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, everything I achieved, he would say, I did that, I put that in you, I taught you that. Everything was about him, and you spend so much time in your as a child trying to please this egomaniac, essentially, <laughs> right? Um, and I think. You know, there's usually a golden child and the child that's despised. And the funny thing is I, I didn't really, I didn't see myself as the golden child, but if we look at the dynamics of our relationship between me and my brother, I was probably more so closest to the golden child, even though I wasn't really the greatest kid. (laughs) But the thing that makes it so tough when you're the golden child is the manipulation that comes with that, right? Mm -hmm. Because whenever you're not whoever they think you should be the abuse comes right um so you constantly try to live up to impressing and trying to earn this love from, from a parent who can't love you back and you're constantly trying um and it's very um it's a very disturbing relationship so imagine this playing out in my dating life right and you find, and, and, and the thing about when you're in in my dating life, I would find myself in relationships with people where I was constantly trying to get their approval, trying to feel like I had to earn my love or er, er, earn their love, right? Mm-hmm. I had to be worthy, mm-hmm. right? Um, I Their strength, I, I didn't feel strong enough in myself. And so I would try to, you know, use their confidence. Well, they're confident. I don't have to be confident. The thing about I didn't realize this till later. Like I would be self deprecating on my dates, right? To a healthy person, a guy is like, "No, nah, I'm not messing with this chick. This chick is nuts," <laughs> right? <laughs> An unhealthy person, such as a narcissist, is that's like blood in the water. Ooh, you know right. he's a shark looking for a victim, <laughs> right? For those who um, don't know,
1: would tell them what, what what's the self self deprecating like self-talk that you had that you said out loud
2: good point and i still struggle with this i don't say this out loud on dates anymore i, I, I try to be overly confident in my dates now um but but you know things like you know um they'll give you a compliment and they'll i'll say wow you are so beautiful no i'm not i'm not i got this wrong with me i got that wrong with me you know stuff like that oh wow you've done this that's amazing that you've done this no that's that's not really anything i mean i could have done more just constantly putting yourself down Mm -hmm. there's always something wrong with you right Mm -hmm. oh i'm so this i'm so that you know you can't take a compliment it's not just being shy about it like you're i would overtly reject it (laughs) right um that's what i mean when i say just it became like blood it was like blood in the water Mm -hmm. to sharks and so um i feel like i'm taking so long to answer your question
1: no i mean (laughs) you're you're developing what we're about to lead into and this is what this is this is ideal for those who are continuing to listen to understand what they might have been through and they get the chance to become more aware of how we can figure out like certain things that we just never really knew and understood.
3: Okay.
0: One of the things just to interject here that's so powerful about you right now, what you're doing is the level of vulnerability that you're is very empowering to our audience, because I'm sure there are listeners out there who are hearing what you're saying and they're being empowered the more they hear you speak. So please continue. I, I, as I listen to you, I, I feel empowered because I've been through my share of trauma and have had to overcome that and uh, have had to overcome my own battle with self deprecation right my yeah. own, uh, my own sense of worthiness and feeling when someone pays you a compliment uh, jason used to tell me you know tim you have to believe you have to start believing what people say about you
2: mm-hmm. yeah you know you At have- least- yeah, at least believe. from the people who actually care about you. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. um, right. Not trolls on the internet, but people troll me all day. But <laughs> but you so, know. So, so please go go right ahead
0: because your background you're giving I think yeah. is going to be very helpful okay. to to our listeners. So yeah, please continue.
2: And yeah, and I don't mind being open because when I train, I use my own story as an example for almost every concept that I'm teaching because I also understand it also helps people be open about their own stories too. Huh. Um and I, th- and I find that to be helpful when I'm training.
0: Vita, if I could, if I could just say this, I, I what I think is is powerful, and I th- think you have told me this before in in some of our own conversations. That it's almost as though who you are plays itself out in what you do. That that your experiences, I think you said to me uh, once before that when you work with children, you see yourself in them.
2: Yeah, and, now I do. And, I didn't right, before. Remember, and, I think I told, was telling you that,
0: right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. but now you, you're you at a place now where you, you know, you, you see yourself in others. And that leads to, uh, I think, the building of community, right? Because... As an educator, you know, when you're doing the workshops that you're doing and and the community work that you're engaged in, it has a way of bringing people together to heal. And and so I I just think that's really that's really powerful um, what you do. Could you talk about that a little bit?
2: Yes, um, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. That is, you know, it's funny because I actually didn't see myself initially. I didn't even realize I mean i'll put it this way i would say it was more subconscious than it was a conscious thought right Mm -hmm. because there's how do i end up working with the very children that i was very similar to Mm -hmm. (laughs) right Mm -hmm. children who had many of this you know who had been i never thought i had dealt with trauma i didn't realize any of these things were traumatic for me it was just life Mm -hmm. it was just what it was it's not i didn't know they were abnormal I mean, black parents brag about beating their kids all the time. I didn't know most weren't actually beating them upside the head like my father was, wasn't punching you in the face. (laughs) right?
1: When did you realize that was trauma? When you started helping the individuals because you've gone through, you went through like class and and, and studies and grad school and all that good stuff.
2: Yeah. So, no, I didn't realize it until I had those breakdowns. When I said my father relapsed, I was a wraparound uh, facilitator at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, for people who don't know what a wraparound facilitator is, that is a person who facilitates the group of people that wrap around that have provide services and uh, for a particular family or a child. Right. And so, what we would do is, for example, let's say a child is being placed into foster care or being placed back into their home from foster care. There will be a team of people a child specialist, a parent partner. Child specialist works directly with the child, the parent partner works with the parent, a therapist, a social worker. We're all in on this one team that's working to provide services to this family. As a facilitator, I have to make sure everybody's doing their job and I have to co- work with the family to create plans and goals to help them get to the next step or work with the child to help them create plans and goals so they can get through maybe dealing with their foster system or whatever, right? Um, While I was doing that work, I didn't see myself as traumatized. But then I started having these meltdowns. I started getting physically sick first. So the first thing happened was I was getting physically sick. I got the flu for the first time in my life. I had never had the flu in my life. Oh, I didn't mention this part. As a wraparound facilitator, you were on call 24 hours a day. Mm. And I had at least 15 cases. You they didn't even recommend you have more than 10. So I had 15 families, which is a lot mm-hmm. in, in that type of work. It's a lot because you're on call 24 hours a day. So imagine you have five families have meltdowns all on the same night. Right. Um, and so you're on call 24 hours, you have about 15 families. And I was so good at my job that when other facilitators or therapists would quit, they'd give me their cases Mm. So that's why I ended up with so many cases. They said, "Oh, you're so, but you're so good at what you do. You work so well with your families. The families love you, and I love working with the families. The families, the part that everybody thinks is hard, wasn't hard for me. The part that was hard was the job, <laughs> not the families. It was, it was the paperwork and all, and being on call twenty four hours a day after working a twelve hour day, right?
3: Right.
2: Um, but in doing that work, I didn't see myself as traumatized until I had this meltdown, and then I went. Um, thankfully, thankfully." Um, So I got a call one day I was leaving one of my cases That was on the freeway Headed back to our main office And I got a call from my father's job The dean of his department My father was a research professor The dean of his department Called me My father's a sociologist And She says I came to your, your father's house I got your number from your father I came to his house because he hasn't been showing up to work, think something. I knew something was wrong, so I came here to his house. He is drunk. He is passing out. Mind you, a week before that, he was in. Oh, two weeks before that, he was in the hospital. The doctor told me if he doesn't stop drinking, he's gonna die. I had already been told that. Mm-hmm. So now I'm getting a call from his boss telling me he's drunk in his house and she's worried about him, the dean of an entire department. Is at his house, right? So he did not live close by. I live people who don't people who people, for people who do know. I live in Los Angeles. My father lived in San Bernardino. It's like an hour and a half and some change away from Los Angeles. So I had to drive. I have first. Of all, I'm having a whole meltdown on the freeway. I'm thinking my dad's about to die. I have to go into my job and tell him I'm taking off the rest of the day. I had just based, almost started this job. I had had no vacation time or sick days <laughs> really yet. But thankfully because i worked in the type of field that i work in just me giving her the basic bare bones what i was dealing with she was very clear okay i know what you're dealing with go handle it um but those kind of moments really show me wait something hasn't been right and then it wasn't until even after that i left that job i became a nanny um which was a great experience i learned that's when i learned about nonviolent communication Uh, was working with a family who required that I learn that to work with their children Mm -hmm. which is funny because she was this racist white lady who definitely wasn't Mm -hmm. utilizing it but it was a great resource to learn nonviolent communication I will say that (laughs) there's nothing to do with her (laughs) um but I did take those tools and I learned that during that time and then uh later on I was getting sick I ended up as well while, while i was with my dad and all this stuff I was with him reliving a lot of these traumas that I forgot about because mind you I have blocked out a lot of the abuse I forgot how much he used to beat me mm-hmm. I completely forgot when I say how bad it was like there was a time I was, when I was 16 or 17 years old um, some 17 magazines came to the house like a sample pack and uh, most people don't know this but sometimes uh, they these companies find out ages of teens or something and start sending stuff to your house I never ordered the magazines my dad never believed me. Um, I, he caught me reading them one day. He comes into the house, sees me reading them. I throw him on the thing. I get nervous. Because my father was very hyper-religious. Up, Like, you know, just mm-hmm. to add to that. So he'd understand why it was such a big deal. My, like, you we weren't allowed to listen to music that wasn't Christian. Even though I did on, on when I visited my mother. <laughs> you know, all, all these really strict religious rules. So he didn't really think 17 Magazine was appropriate. So... I dropped it he comes in he's like I knew You ordered those magazines he just starts Yelling at me and screaming at me I have a comb in my hand because I think I was doing my Hair while I was reading the magazine or something Um I'm trying to plead to him And let him know I didn't order the Magazines but somehow I'm using My hands while I talk and the Comb flies out of my hand and it hits him He he tries to accuse me of throwing It at him which I would never do because I was terrified Of my father um he charges at me and just starts punching me to the point where I'm trying to get away from him. He's punching me all up the hallway. I'm trying to go into the bathroom, and try to lock him out the bathroom. Um, I think eventually he just gets tired because he's on his lunch break. He was going to go back to work. Um, he goes back to work. He comes home. Cause we got, we're going to church that night. We were in church like five to six days a week. So it was night service that night. We go to church that night. I, at some point he talked, he talked to the prophet. I don't know when he did. Prophet makes me, at the end of the service, he makes me get up in front of everybody and apologize to my father, even though he beat me. Think about the mind and the psychological, like how warped that is. And I really believed I was at fault for years. So these kind of memories are coming back to me during this time. I had no intentions of going back to a regular job. I was too depressed. My depression so got... He, I,
0: mm-hmm. If I may, you're going through all of this on your way to help your father who is in the midst of a crisis.
2: Well, at that point, when... Um, well, that... Which part were you, were you asking? Because that, he, the, the whole thing when he hit me was when I was like 17.
0: Right. No, but I meant all of this is... You're sort of revisiting... Oh,
2: yes, 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 the- yes. The- I the- was the- going...
0: Bernardino. To- yes because your father's boss called the dean of the school yes right so all this is going through your head as you're uh, on your way to help your dad
2: at this point it's not just not just on my way to get him yes on my way to get him but also just all that time i went to go get him me and my other brother went to go get him that was a horrible situation itself getting him into the hospital we got him finally into a hospital um we st- after, mind you we stay there all night. He ends up the, within a couple of days. They told him he has to get cleared physically before they can send him to behavioral health. Um, but he won't let them do their tests. He basically just pulls everything out of himself, IVs out, and everything, and just calls a cab and leaves. Like mm-hmm. he just leaves. Um, but during this, but this is a whole span of time of just things happening. And so I'm, all these memories are coming up So during the time he's harassing me He's calling me He's doing all types of crap My fu- my brother's trying to get him sober But nothing's working So during this time I'm having a whole meltdown Like th- I'm declining in my mental health Is basically what I'm getting at It gets to the point where I'm so depressed I can't keep working regularly I end up trying to um, Become an Uber driver There were days where I would just sit in my car For like 6 hours and go nowhere um, I wasn't able to pay my rent um. Thankfully, I was the time I was staying with a friend, and she was she under. You know, she was being very understanding. She didn't really know what was going on, but she knew I wasn't working regular and I had a lot of things happening. Um. I ended up uh, going to the doctor for a sciatica. The doctor tells me, "Uh, I think you're depressed." <laughs> oh, and at this point, I had gained over a hundred pounds. I was well over three hundred pounds. I was like three hundred and twenty pounds at this point. So my depression had already had also taken up. My health, it was it was a lot of things happening. And so okay. he's mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> can I just can I just interject here? You know, what's interesting about that is in your initial remarks when you first started, you said something that was very powerful. Chronologically, we move on from our trauma, but we take our trauma with us such that it assumes physical manifestations things like inflammation yes things like autoimmune problems that compromise yes. your ability to fight disease you said you had never had the flu before mm-hmm. and weight gain yes obesity the, yes like, yeah, obesity which is result of not just people think and this is what i think is is so terrible about the culture around obesity right for a lot of people, the solution to obesity is simple. You just have to go to the gym and you have to eat better. But it doesn't really work that way, does it? Not at all. Because, it does, not at all. Yeah, because you can you can be carrying around. I mean, there's a wonderful book. I'm sure you know it. It's called The Body Keeps Score.
1: I
3: knew mm-hmm. that was going to
1: come up. I love that book.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a powerful book, right? And, and that seems to me to be the principle that you're talking about here. We have oversimplified trauma and, and we don't even take account of it we don't even pay attention to it and and a lot of people who have high cortisol levels in their blood right from stress mm-hmm. it tends to when your body goes into that kind of physiological response it tends to hold on to weight because it thinks it's in danger and yes it, it, have to, it might starve yes so we gotta keep this around right
2: Yes, I want to talk about, yeah, yeah, I want to get into that because you're saying something that's really important and I really want to make sure people understand what you're talking about. Um, When we talk about trauma and its impact on the body, that's exactly one of the studies that has come out. So it's called the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. That's, I believe, what you're referencing. Mm -hmm. And so in the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study, this is a study where um, Dr. Vincent Felitti and the CDC Dr. The, they're from, one was from Kaiser, and then also uh, Bob Onda, Robert Honda from the CDC. They did the study where they found that there were direct, um, there's a direct correlation between your physical health as an adult and your childhood trauma and the adverse experiences you had as a child. And the way they discovered this was actually through an obesity program at Kaiser that still exists, by the way. And this obese, this uh, bariatric program at Kaiser, what was happening is these women were losing weight on the program however um they were losing the weight and then they weren't coming back to the program so they were trying to figure out what was going on where these people weren't coming back to the program so one of the doctors did a research was said i'm gonna do a questionnaire he went around to ask these women hey you know uh let's do some survey questions we want to kind of get some ideas and see what's you know why you aren't coming back During the survey, one of the, he asked, he's asking questions like, you know, how much did you weigh when you graduated from high school? How much did you weigh when you got married? How much did you weigh the first time you had sex? Which was actually an accident. He didn't mean to ask that. He meant to ask something else. Mm. Well, when he asked the question, one of the responses was 60 pounds. She was 60 pounds when she had sex. She was a child.
3: Wow.
2: And that's when they discovered that there was a direct correlation between sexual abuse and obesity. That was one thing. The other thing is as they expanded the study and then they found it was actually a correlation between adverse childhood experiences such as sexual abuse, physical abuse, neglect, um, your parent dealing with substance abuse or mental illness, watching your mother be treated violently. Um, there are various things that are adverse for children when they experience a divorce, um, a parent dying. Um, these various things so I have ten questions now. So they ask you about ten questions, and they'll say, and if you answer yes to any of these questions, have you been hit, spit on, slapped as a child? Have you been sexually abused? Have you, you know, did you ever worry that you weren't going to eat? Things like that. And if you answer yes to any of these questions, you get a point. If you get a score of four or more, that increases your likelihood of dealing with things like diabetes, heart disease, autoimmune diseases, certain types of cancers, including in things like obesity, suicidality, depression, um, anxiety, and so forth, right? So so, so you guys wanna look it up, what's called the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. Mm-hmm. And this is important to know. This is why I was saying a lot of the things that I was saying when I was a child, I experienced was going to come up later. This is exactly what I was talking about. Um, so it also impacts the ways in which we, res- we when we have traumatic experiences in our childhood, it also impacts our behaviors and the ways that we respond to things, right? Mm-hmm. So um, the way I got into training, even, was I was trying to find my healing so i was researching things when i found out i was going through depression which is funny i had worked in mental health for years and didn't even know i was dealing with depression mm-hmm. didn't even know i was one of the kids i was trying to save this whole time mm-hmm. right
3: mm-hmm. and
2: it wasn't until i went to see the health psychologist because i was dealing with also my obesity so they use it to, so i could see the health psychologist a health psychologist is the person the doctor that you go see to determine whether or not you qualify for bariatric surgery and I wasn't necessarily there for that. My doctor wasn't sending me there for that. He just wanted me to talk to the health psychologist. The health psychologist tells me, though, he says, yeah, that I'm, you know, usually I would recommend people for a bariatric surgery. If I had to recommend you, I would definitely tell, say no, <laughs> I don't think your problem is necessarily your weight. I think your problem is that you have, a, you've been through a lot in your life. He didn't say the word trauma. He's because mm-hmm. I think. A lot, of people working, a lot of people who are properly trained, they don't always use the word trauma when they're dealing with patients because they know that's the trigger word for a lot of people of color. Um, but he was very clear. He said, you've been through a lot and you don't even realize you've been through a lot. You've, you've normalized a lot of things. Two, the way you see yourself is very harmful. The way you see yourself. It's not you. It's not your physical. And mind you, I'm sitting there over 300 pounds. He's telling me, I don't think your problem is your weight. <laughs> Mm -hmm. the doctor is telling me this that's why i get really annoyed by those criticisms those people who get on the internet talking smack about people's weight and all that you don't know what people are experiencing Mm -hmm. i hear the doctor telling me no your problem isn't your weight while i'm having a weight problem because he's explaining to me it's not about the physical it's your psychological it's it's your mental it's the things you've experienced Mm -hmm. we got to work on that the physical we can deal with But this is important. Mm -hmm.
0: Can I just interject here? Because here's what's so powerful about that. On one hand, your father is no longer physically drinking, but he's a dry drunk because he hasn't treated his inward parts. So he appears to be okay. And on the other hand, the problem that you had with your weight was in reality, just a symptom
3: of an inward
0: problem that you had not addressed adequately. Right. So it's, it's amazing how it, the, 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 the problem sort of is transmitted to you in an interesting kind of way because you're dealing with something that appears to be a problem but isn't and your father appeared to be healthy but he wasn't
2: that's a really good point
0: oh so I, I i thought about that and i just i think uh i think that's that's a that's a real interesting uh interesting takeaway that i have from this but Bita, let me ask you You talk a lot about wanting to please your father. And in in your dealings with people who had trauma, do you find that people who have experienced trauma similar to yours uh, in in intimate personal relationships, whether they be parenting relationships or, or romantic relationships, do you find that people have a hard time when they haven't been treated um, setting boundaries and, Yes, and saying you know what I'm not going to do that because you're so accustomed to wanting to please that person right you're so accustomed to wanting to please in your case your dad that you end up in romantic relationships as you said a moment ago in which you're kind of doing the same thing for uh for guys who you may have been dating or seeing at the time and how how common is that and what do you recommend for people who are maybe dealing with trauma that hasn't been treated as far as setting boundaries is concerned
2: well that's a tough that's a tough thing to really just there's no like how do i say there are people can I can give you tips there's no real tips and tricks to this right Mm -hmm. I can't say well here are the tips and tricks to setting boundaries right because it's so much fear for people who are people pleasers to setting boundaries Mm -hmm. that's the first block is that how do we get past that fear I know definitely. So I want to say this too. It's it, that the term most most people know is people pleasers. We mean most of us know people a people a person pleaser, right? A person mm-hmm. who seems like they're just doing way too much. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times we don't realize it as uh, as a person who's you know I would say a former people pleaser. And it's and it wasn't for everyone. It was whoever's relationship I valued or I feared losing, I would go above and beyond. Right, they could ask me to go to the moon, you know, and back, and I would do it. Right, Um, even if it was no matter what time of day, no matter what I had going on, I would sacrifice myself. You know, put you know, put myself in a bad situation, leave my job. You know, when you could have left your job.
0: Yeah, to put it in religious terms, you would nail yourself to a cross.
2: Nail yourself to a cross, exactly. For other people. <laughs> Crucify
0: yourself for other exactly. people. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Crucify, there we go. Crucify yourself for other people. To the point where it's it's putting your situation and yourself in some in, in bad situations. Um, what helped me was learning that I had the problem in the first place. So there were two books that I read, um, that help that have helped me. And I still go back and read sometimes. I, I still I just need it. One book was called, um, the, uh, hum, hum, it was called human magnet syndrome. By, by, that, Ross,
0: by our friend, Ross Rosenberg.
2: There we go. By the subtitle, um, the subtitles, why we love the people who hurt us. Exactly. And the reason why I like that book is because it made things make sense for the relationships that I had been in. Mm. Um, I had a codependent narcissistic relationship Mm -hmm. and I was constantly in them and didn't know that I was constantly in them because everybody's quote unquote different. Because mm-hmm. I was always taught that different meant they had different interests. They had, there were at a different point in their life. They had, they had, they had certain types of jobs or whatever, right? These are the superficial things we look at. Well, he's different because the last guy did it. He was a, you know, he was a bum who had no goals. This guy, he works a six figure job and he's a highly ambitious. But somehow they ended up dating the same narcissistic personality, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Whether mm-hmm. it was the guy who had no goals and no ambition, who you know worked a job. He hated every day on purpose (laughs) Or the guy who worked the job Who he loved And he was still a narcissist Who made a lot of money It was the same problem, right? It didn't matter the status It didn't matter what his interests were It didn't matter if you like classical music or hip-hop It didn't matter The things that mattered Were the fact that I was constantly uh, Drawn to these types of people Even though they were quote-unquote different people But they were all like my father there were the only type of relationship that I understood, right? Um, I had a, you know, I had a boyfriend who made me take off his shoes when he came in the house, not because they were difficult shoes, he wore fucking sneakers, <laughs> you know. Um, and I would do it. I would, ha- I would work three jobs, and I would get up in the morning. Because um, I had a job at three o'clock in the morning, and I would get up, go to that job, come home, make him breakfast, and then go to my next job. That mother only had one job. <laughs> you know, he should have made me bur- <laughs> breakfast. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just saying. Right. We weren't married. We weren't even in, in that type of we weren't even in a situation where that to me would have been a healthy situation where I'm working three jobs and you work for- in fact I think at one point he wasn't even working. He got laid off and I was still doing that. Wow. Wow. Right.
0: So this is this is just you're sort of you're sort of over caring, uh overburdening yourself because there's and a- there's
2: no consideration from the other person. Right. It's not like I'm just doing this and then he's also doing other things. He's doing nothing in return.
0: Like this is completely n- not non-reciprocal, right? Exactly. This, this is all one-way driven. And <laughs> and it seems that no and the hard part about that is and I'm I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that uh you would you would hope that the more you did the more he would come around but in fact it was probably the opposite the more you did the less
2: he came around right well yeah pretty much that's pretty much pretty much how that happened and and then he would do other things to make that make me work harder so the more he would pull away the harder i'd work because i'm thinking i have to do more that's the same type of manipulation my father would do, right? He shut down on me. All of a sudden, he'd be ice cold to me. So that means uh, that means I have to do things differently or do things a certain way to gain his attention again, right? The positive attention that I wanted. Um, it's very manipulative, um, and it's 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 interesting because. I, it was like a, just a, an, an almost a, just an automatic response, right? Very similar to how I was saying, you know, when I was a child, I had this thing where my I didn't know a father I was going to get when he when I when he came home. So think so it's also similar. What well, what happened to me is I would have to watch my father and look at his eyes, his body, his muscle movements, everything before I would make a move so I can know which father it was. I had to read everything. Right. But also I had the physical responses to the, just hearing the door till this day when I had a roommate, just hearing her come and open, open the front door and close the door. Cause she's home would tense me up. Mm-hmm. She's not going to so come you, in the house and beat me, but somehow my brain and my body just tensed up every time she came home.
1: Let's
0: that was, let's oh, let's, let's,
1: oh, let's, let's let's let me see if I can tie some things together to bring us to this, this one interesting point about just the whole evolution of, of, of where you've come from and where you are. Um, and we talked about this, maybe we talked about it on, on air, um, or off air as opposed to on air, but the idea of awareness, I see that you're approaching that point of saying these things, these things were happening to me. And I didn't know what to name them. I didn't know what to call them. I didn't know how to identify them. I began to start identifying those things inside of me and around me. And as I begin to identify them, this is leading me to my place of where training starts to ha- happen more cognitive and emotional awareness. Um, maybe talk about Talk to talk about the transition, but I I love I love where we are because I, I see the end of it. And it's just like what you have begun, what you have learned over time and still are learning, you're actually applying that to the young people, to the youth. So that they can learn to identify things a lot sooner and not necessarily have to go through what you have gone through that's beautiful that's brilliant that's service that's love that's everything but i want to know when you became like awareness is everything oh wait i can't that that is an understatement right but it's like once you start becoming aware of the thing that you're doing what's st- what starts to happen in your life at that point and how you turn this turn like turn the corner to be like oh no I'm a master now like this is <laughs> like this is because here's the other thing and as you say about as you talk to that point you you and we are still left with some types of scars that have happened in our past traumas. And we often call those scars triggers in a way that when we have to and that's another will we might get to it on part two or part three of this. But the point is, let's I want to get there. But I also want to talk about your, your, your coming of age, if you will and identifying like, yo, this is what has happened. Now I'm going to start to make a shift and even start to spill over into my real life and helping others.
2: So I, I wanna say that when I started to learn about the adverse child experiences study, when I started to just read, I, honestly I started reading a lot. It's like once you once I get that click, like, hey, I think I found this thing, I, I just had to know more. Mm-hmm. So I started researching more, reading more. I started reading books by uh, Nadine Burke Harris, who wrote the book The Deepest mm-hmm. Well. She's a uh, she was a uh, she's a black woman. She was the first California Surgeon General we've ever had, and she started implementing uh, Aces and having medical practitioners start looking for childhood trauma mm-hmm. uh, as a way to begin to address some of the um, health outcomes that we were seeing, such as ADHD, mm-hmm. which is questioned now, right? If it's even a real diagnosis, or are we looking talking about are we dealing with children who've experienced trauma, right? Um, learning about like for example My experience when my mother was pregnant with uh, With me and how that impacted My anxiety today as an adult mm-hmm. Right it's called stress in utero You can look that up There's also things we should be looking at like epigenetics So I started learning about these things So how did All does trauma also alter our DNA Because another thing when I teach Is nothing that I'm teaching is just Focused on us as individuals in a vacuum Outside of these Uh, Systemic oppressive structures, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. So we talk about things like trauma, we talk about things like the way it's impacted our brains and bodies. We can, that's not absent and that's not without looking at the circumstances we're also having to live in, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: right? Mm -hmm. Well, I will say the first ACE study was 70% college educated, I think it was 70% white, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? right? One of the most privileged groups you could be in America right
1: yeah and, and i love the marrying. You. i love the marrying of of your soci- sociological <laughs> background sociology <laughs>
2: and then like the life experience and this like eh, they gotta make sense they gotta make sense right they they gotta make sense and so we can't so we can't look at it without we can't say that's not an aspect of something we have to be looking at because this also goes into how we address these situations right because if we don't have i'll give you an example you're talking about Trump communities who have been traumatized for generations, the black community in particular. Right. The black community has been traumatized over and over again to the point where we raise our children with that trauma. You obey authority. I will. You must suffer if you make a mistake. You must suffer if you defy authority. Right and these are uh-huh. values that have been taught to us and has been reinforced by the larger society and so it has impacted the way that we parent mm-hmm. right because mm-hmm. this is what we believe is going to keep our children alive you must follow orders to the point where we send our children to institutions called schools or I call them indoctrination stations where we teach them to follow orders right and, in bl- I'm what were you going to say
0: I'm sorry Vita, and I was just going to interject when you add to that the impact of religious institutions where obedience is equated with holiness and righteousness. Uh. Doing the right thing. Now you have the ultimate authority uh, that is profoundly influential on especially small children. You have a a layup
1: and an alley-oop on the uh, (laughs) the other end. Like, good night!
3: Right. This whole whole idea that
0: the Lord is always watching. You know, right. And you have to, I mean, when you think about that and you think about the impact of what you're talking about. I mean, when I was a kid, I went to Catholic school in Philadelphia. I used to do my homework out of fear because (laughs) the nuns would come around and they would look over your shoulder and they would check. And if I wasn't dotted or a wasn't crossed, boy, you were in trouble and God was not pleased with you.
2: Mercy. There we go. That's devastating to a little kid. And and this is the thing is you said it's it's it influences children, but, but not only does it influence children, it reinforces that everything else is justified right it reinforces that the way your parents treat you the way your teachers treat you the way the police officer treats you the way that everybody else in society treats you is justified right this is the only way we can think to the point where we have laws on the books and we as black people will support and vote for them right after saying black lives matter defund the police and every other slogan you could think of we'll sit up there and vote against our own interests and say what do you mean uh voting against police having weapons when they pull you over for a traffic stop they don't want to vote they don't want to vote for that that sounds insane the <laughs> to them we can't even we can't even fathom the idea of not living in a world of crime and punishment so when right. i talk about trauma-informed care it's talking about completely reforming the way that we interact with people right how do we transform the way we interact with our children to break that cycle of oppression right why are we teaching our children if you don't obey me you must suffer Versus why don't I teach you how to critically think to solve problems and get your needs met so you don't have to try to get your need met in this way that can be harmful and hurtful towards you and someone else. How do we teach empathy? How do we teach connection? That's part of communication. That's part of building community, right? So when we talk, so when I teach, for example, trauma-informed care to preschool teachers, or to teachers in general Often talk about the importance of building community in that space So one of the first things I say Is get rid of your rule list Breaking Already breaking that mentality of crime and punishment Right You don't have to have a set of rules Quote unquote rules That you've already chosen So as soon as they walk in There are already rules imposed upon them Why don't we together As a group come up with agreements things that we can agree first of all what are our goals our goals for this space what do you want this classroom to be like what do you want this after school program to be like what do you want this space to be for you okay these you want these things write those things down this is what I trained teachers to do write those things down okay you want to have fun you want to have parties you want to have basketball time you want to do this okay these are great things first what are some things we can do to make sure that we're able to do these things and learn and have a good time in a safe space. What can we agree to do to make sure these things happen? So, right?
0: Yeah, that's very powerful. Very. That very powerful. I, I just, I'm, I'm really just blown away because as I'm listening to you and I think about the conversation to this point, you have told your story and in telling your story, you have told the story of so many other people, right? And the way that you bring so much of yourself to the work that you do is, is, I think, a powerful testament to the passion that you bring to your work. And it brings me to this question. It, when you're doing your work as a trauma-informed uh, educator, what are, what are the best possible outcomes? of the training and the education work that you do. In other words, if, if you're working with, and I'm sure those outcomes may depend on who your audience is, right? If you're dealing mm-hmm. with, with uh, children, maybe you have one ideal outcome. If you're dealing with community groups and, and doctors and, and other medical professionals, maybe you have another outcome. But could you give us some sense of what what is it that makes you walk away from one of your experiences as a trauma educator that, that makes you walk away from that experience and say, wow, this is a really good outcome? Is there something general like that? Do you have something like that in mind when you go in? Does it change during the process? And if it does, what, what's that like in terms of your goals and the results that you get?
2: well i mean for me it's when i'm doing a training i'm usually listening to how people respond and ask questions um i can usually tell people who are skeptical right off the top which you get a lot of people who are just like oh this is more bs i have to learn be nice to kids i know let kids just run all over you that's usually the attitude people come in with whether it's a parent or an, an educator you'd be surprised which even school administrators goodness.
0: Which actually demonstrates how badly they need to be there
2: <laughs> right but what's interesting is when they work with me um because i think they hear certain terms like gentle parenting trauma-informed non-violent parenting isn't the same thing as gentle parenting it was like the same terminology the same concepts but it's, it's a very different um terminology for a reason because it's not about being quote-unquote gentle or being quote-unquote nice and i tell them that up front because it's about being real because you're going to make mistakes you're going to say things you don't mean, but how do we repair those ruptures when they happen? Right. Um, so, so for me, it's like, how do you con- well, for me, the trainees, it's like, how do you connect with the material? So if you come in like, oh, you're going to teach me how to be nice to my kid. or you going to teach me how to be nice to my students? Uh, I already know how to be nice. These kids will run all over you. I know how these kids are. Um, <laughs> when, I, when, I, when I know I'm going to have that energy and I listen and I can hear the transition by the end of the training. Some of my trainings are a few days or a week or 10 weeks. So I can usually hear the shifts in the thinking because I put things in perspective, right? So, for example, when I talk about the impact of slavery and how we treat our children with a lot of black families that are very married to the idea of crime and punishment, they begin to question it. That's a positive outcome. They start to say, wait a minute. I never saw Mm. it that way before. I didn't realize I was reinforcing white supremacy in my own household. Wow. they never saw it that way before wow, wow. You because t- most trauma informed care trainings are not going to teach you that I teach that because that's just how I think <laughs> but and I, and I made those connections and I listened to many black psychologists that talk about this right Dr. Joy DeGruy being one of them right Um, Stacy Patton is another one Stacey Patton I love her she's another one right, right? Um, right. Dr. Ken Hardy is another one like there's multiple uh, black mental health professionals, psychologists um and many other people who work in this field who are able to look at the ways in which we've been um, conditioned to work with children, even though I worked at schools with black staff and they get in line, be quiet. What are you doing? Shut up. Stop that. And that's their thinking. So when they get into my training and I teach them, hey, we ain't got to do all that. We're going to teach. We don't have to institutionalize our children. Right, We don't have to teach that We don't have to re, um, re- Basically reinforce White supremacist ideas when working with our children Because I'll tell you this When I worked in Redondo Beach Which for people who don't know That's a very wealthy white community When I was teaching uh, preschool in Redondo Beach You think they let me yell at them kids Get in line, be quiet You don't even take something away if two kids are fighting over a toy In the black schools you two kids are fighting over a toy You come take it away Nobody gets to play with it now you want to fight over this ball Ain't nobody getting to play with this ball mm-hmm. Now who did that help? What did they learn? Absolutely nothing Right? But see the thing is Our kids are being learned to follow orders Our kids are learning to be laborers And right, to be institutionalized That's what they're training our children's mind to be They're not training to be executives The kids in the Redondo Beach Their parents are teaching them how to be executives You know what you teach them how to do? Negotiate They're allowed to negotiate We call it talking back But they're allowed to mm-hmm. negotiate Can I get 10 more minutes that's negotiation right if the two kids are fighting over a toy guess what you teach them community hey your friend Johnny was still playing with it would you to ask him if he was finished you teach them how to communicate Mm -hmm. you really hurt Johnny's feelings when I was teaching at this preschool they had three uh guidelines we keep hearts safe we keep bodies safe and we keep property safe so we would always ask the children, are we keeping hearts safe? And that meant, are you treating people a certain way or are you being treated a certain way? Right. So these are things they're teaching at a very young age. When I went back to work with in the schools in the black community, I started implementing that I started teaching those educators that because the other thing is sometimes people take things away. They tell you don't do this and don't do that, but they don't give them things to do how can we create a space for our classroom then if I'm using my old tools for my old toolbox that they gave me that I'm using that I was raised with mm-hmm. so I was taught to with black kids you got to use more authority they don't understand that nice stuff that's what people would tell me but when I gave them new tools say hey wait a minute now you can take this hammer and hack off the back of your tv to fix the to fix whatever's going on with your tv or you can use a screwdriver <laughs> and properly take it off fix the problem and put them replace the back right if they were like yeah i guess that makes sense exactly because you can just take a hammer and hack up the children so much you, you want to fix this problem because they're behaving a certain way you fix the behavior but now you've damaged this child's self-esteem or you've hurt their behavior for the next teachers i gotta have them because now they're traumatized by you mm-hmm. right wow. so i would when i when you see those those minds change when you see people start to start to click for them It makes all the difference in the world. So I've witnessed it. I've witnessed what happens when you teach teachers or anybody new ways of doing things. Hey, agreements. And on top of that, when I teach agreements, we stay away from words like no and don't. What do you want children to do versus what you don't want them to do? Mm. Do you have a space that they can go to in your classroom when they are feeling stressed out? It might be minor to you. But when Susie didn't let her borrow her eraser, Sally took it personal. And she was very hurt by that. Because to you, it's not a big deal. You, you're you past second grade. <laughs> but when you're a second grader, that, maybe Sally was her best friend, right? Or Susie was her best friend. But you don't... So is there a space that they can go to release relieve their stress? Do you have a peace corner? Do you have a place where they can blow bubbles or jump rope and exert some of their energy? Do you have activities in your classroom that give them space to move around? Do you teach them how to... Talk to each other and build community. So that way, if they do hurt someone's feelings, they actually care about that. Because if you also treat children in your classroom a certain way, guess what? The other kids will treat that child a certain way. Notice that with the teacher that the, the class, the, sorry, the person in the class, that the teacher doesn't like, other students start to pick on them too. So you have to also be aware of your own biases and your own traumas, because trick children can trigger you and your own traumas, right? As a child who behaves like you did, And now you're triggered because you used to get beat for that behavior. And now here's this child doing this and you can't beat them. And now you just berate them in the classroom because you have your own traumas that you haven't dealt with. So when they're in my training and they learn that type of stuff, they can't stay in that old space thinking I'm going to just teach them how to be nice because I don't talk about being nice. because I think nice is fake. That's that white supremacy shit. Excuse Mm -hmm. me. I keep forgetting that shit. I don't know if I can test on here, but you can test.
1: I say you can cuss. Okay. Tim, Tim thinks you can't, probably. I don't know what he thinks. <laughs>
2: <laughs> don't be putting
3: words in my mouth.
2: Cuss, girl. Girl, just cuss it out. <laughs> just cuss. it out. Be, I'm sorry. Need to tell Jason. I'm, the, I'm the editor. Tell Jason. Oh, you're the editor. Okay.
0: Jason he's supposed to play nice with Tim, and Tim didn't like that. <laughs> 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 I mean, you heard uh, Tim
1: did you consider Tim. Tim's
2: feelings when you when you nah, threw him I under did. the bus? I, I did, <laughs> <laughs>
1: but I, I still say cuss. I I don't want to use negative words, so yes, you can cuss. You can do
0: that. You can do that. <laughs> I, I just want to say, I just want to say, cussing, non-cussing, whatever, all that aside, we'll take you. I. VitaStar, you know you are a permanent, you're only a visitor here once and you're not really a visitor here today because you had us on your podcast to talk about our, our podcast so we're grateful for that but I just want to say to our listeners what you're getting now from VitaStar is exactly what we give here at the Motown Philly podcast. We are determined to give content that speaks to communication, connection, community. And Jason, I don't know about you, but Vita is delivering We're big good. time. She yeah. asked. Listen, we listen. We probably
1: we wrapping up. We as Tim's giving a wrapping up talk. We need to have you back. No, if no, this... no,
3: no,
2: no. I wasn't. I wasn't. Oh, saying okay. That I, I, I thought was, we was. Working. I, I was... felt the wrap up spirit. And, um, and, and, I thought he and, was uh, wrapping up too. I was like, okay, I guess that's it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I'm not wrapping up It's just Our listeners just need to know Oh yeah If they don't know already Which I'm sure they do That Vita is Is giving content To us That is a huge Huge benefit To everyone who's listening So I'm not saying that To say it's over I'm just saying that To say that Because it needed to be said (laughs) Jason Hall <laughs> play, play, well, nice, <laughs> play nice, thank
2: you. Play nice, too. Oh, I'm I d- you know what? I told you guys earlier there were two books that I helped me, and that, um, and there was another, I never mentioned the second book, and the other book was Attached the New Science of Adult Attachment. Um, and I, I highly recommend that book for a lot of people. It, it talks about attachment theory and the ways in which we were raised and how we look at love and connection, how it impacts our relationships as an adult. Um, so it's attached this the new science of adult attachment and how it can help you find and keep love um it's a really really helpful book if you just want to understand your own dating patterns and behaviors it also explains how attachment works um and attachment's important because that's another thing that that is impacted by our experiences um growing up with our parents but it also is not you're not Doomed for the rest of your life. So the beauty of a lot of this, so you know, just to let everybody know, I'm not trying to give you the doom and gloom of everything. It's, you know, there are tools to address it and you can heal and you are resilient, right? So I'll give you guys an example. Sometimes there are things that we experience in our trauma that while we do have trauma responses, guess what? We also have superpowers that come out of traumas, right? And these these are things that we don't realize that we have. And so I'll give you an example. So When we t- I talked about earlier About me having to read my father's body language And his eyes And his tone of voice Everything before I could even move Right mm-hmm. As traumatizing as that childhood was And my experience with my father was I developed all these skill sets That have benefited me In my work with communities and families Being able to understand body language and tone Being able to understand people's feelings Right Instead of me becoming a people pleaser, I became a people helper, right? Because I could, instead of me taking it personally, because before I would just take it personal. Oh, they blinked a certain way. Um, Something must be wrong with me. And now, as you begin to develop more tools, as you begin to heal, as you begin to understand yourself and your journey, study more, read more, listen to some. Sometimes, listen, you don't have to always have one on one therapy that might not be for you. It might be something else in your healing that you need. Right. Maybe you're not ready. Maybe it is for you and you're just not ready yet. Right. Um, but there are things you can do in the meantime such as reading such as listening to some psychologists i will find psychologists if they wrote books and things like that i'll find their lectures on youtube a lot of them give lectures and they're available online somewhere right mm-hmm. so i could just learn the concepts and understand them Um listening to certain types of podcasts about the mind and psychology have been very helpful for me as well such as motown philly right um these things are great to help you begin to open up and understand how the brain and the mind and the body works and um, you are very resilient. So my the things that have trauma, I, I, I put it like this. Think about most superhero cartoons or comics, right? Most superheroes have a superpower that was born out of some type of trauma. They were experimented on. They fell into a vat of chemicals. They were bit by a radioactive spider. I mean, you name it. <laughs> it was an explosion. They went to another planet. Something traumatic happened, mm-hmm. <laughs> and. They ended up with superpower, But when they first discover they have this power, they're usually a detriment to themselves and others. They're usually very problematic, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So we can be damaging with it. We could be hurting other ourselves and other people, which is what I did with my anxiety, hurt myself and other people because I didn't understand my superpower.
0: Wow. And so to those of you out there listening. What's so powerful about what Vita is saying is that it dovetails so perfectly on our episode last week that we did on art and communication. And the way that artists who create stories in comic strips with superheroes are actually grappling with reality, and they're trying Mm. to create alternate realities in these fictive worlds that help us see things like trauma otherwise, right? So we can look at trauma from a negative standpoint and talk about all the, the downside of it. But what's so powerful about what you're doing now, Vita, is that you've now turned this discussion into a conversation about Uh, the creative the work of creative fiction right and how through the lives of fictional characters superman the incredible hulk spider-man batman whoever you can see that their greatest curse in a sense becomes their greatest power
3: right yeah
2: and not only that but what happens is they learn how to utilize their power once they get a mentor once they get a sensei once they get a professor x once they get um once they practice right once they study then they begin to learn how to use the superpower to help other people right so yeah it was traumatic what they went through they shouldn't have had to go through that right but they did Mm -hmm. and guess what now they can help others who also have so that way they don't do damage like we were doing damage, right? So I
0: think, we, it's, I think it's fair, then, Vita, to call you to refer to you as Superwoman. You
3: <laughs> got the
0: <laughs> S on your chest, girl. Listen,
3: I, love I,
2: it. I I won't call myself that, but you know, Superwoman I feel or, like or
0: Wonder Woman.
3: So,
2: <laughs> but well, either way, I, as long mm. as we we can see ourselves as people with actual powers to help others because it's another thing that helps us when we talked about and I talked about all those three things can be sources of trauma and also be sources of healing that's what I mean because now we can build community right how do we take our superpower to build community how do we take our superpower to communicate more effectively right how do we take our superpower to build connection my superpower might be listening to tones of voices and reading body language right Whereas your superpower might be being able to identify when there's danger before other people might notice that there's danger. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example of that. Jay-Z was on a show called with oh, David Letterman. I can't remember David Letterman's show, it's on Netflix. It was an interview show. Mm-hmm. And Jay-Z was telling the story about how he can tell if somebody's carrying a gun from far away. He's like, I could tell somebody was in your audience right now, walked by how he's looking, how he's looking at the audience. How they're walking, how they're carrying themselves. I I can tell if someone's carrying a gun. Because of all his trauma, he went through being in the streets. Right? The things he witnessed. Now that was traumatic. He shouldn't have had to go through that. But he did. And now he's able to spot when there's a time for me to get out of a space. It's time for me to warn others. It's time for me to get myself out of this, whatever it is. Your superpower might be whatever your superpower might be. Maybe you're able to build relationships quickly right instead of being a people pleaser maybe you're a community builder right mm-hmm. so what that. is your superpower
3: i love that mm-hmm. so
2: identifying not just your trauma responses because knowing your triggers knowing what you're responding to is important too right but it's also just as important if not more important that you know what your superpowers are so that way these things the the, the downsides don't take over your life i still struggle with anxiety right it's still something that i deal with it's something I am I, I don't know what the outcome for the rest of my life is going to be. But I'm working very, very strongly to make sure that doesn't become a detriment to my life. But I do find that, for example, I was reading that people who overthink are also people who are paying attention to detail. So I use it in my work, <laughs> right? I make sure I do a good job so I can help other people. So it's it's, it's it's always something that we have to be working on. But it's something that we're, it's a tool we're all, it's, it's a um something we are always exercise the muscle we have to always exercise just because you hey i got a superpower you still got to keep working on that muscle make sure you're still doing things the right way so i always recommend that we keep studying we keep learning keep growing i love the idea of art therapy music therapy like i said if you're not ready for one-to-one um talk therapy yet or that's not you haven't found someone that works for you yet that doesn't mean your healing has to be halted it just means there are other avenues. Sometimes it's being reconnected to who you are. I was listening to a podcast about these uh, Native Americans who had been traumatized by being forced into these uh, racist white schools, stripped, taken from their families and put in these racist white schools where they were abused physically and sexually. And their healing was getting back connected to their own culture. That was part of their healing. That, that's when their nightmares stopped. That's when they started to begin to, they started to build connection and community with their people. That's when their healing started they didn't get one-to-one therapy some did some didn't and guess what the outcomes were very much similar so
0: do y'all do y'all hear this i hope y'all hear this because jason there is no other podcast in the universe where you are going to hear from a real life superhero uh, (laughs) you're not going to we (laughs) have we have the real wonder woman on our podcast and no other podcast post that listen jason i don't want to wrap up but i do want to say that we need to take a brief break now for some announcements and messages related to our podcast and we are going to come right back in just a second and on the other side we're going to continue our conversation with the amazing vita Star. Hey, y'all, it's time for y'all to know and understand and appreciate what people are out here saying about the Motown Philly podcast. Jay, people out here talking about us, man. They out here. They out here talking about us and they saying good things. Here's a five star review from Apple Podcasts. The subject is titled, the review is titled Right on Time quote i am thoroughly enjoying the motown philly podcast dr tim and jason have great chemistry and their content is what's needed in this space love the transparency and the topics please give them a listen you won't be disappointed thank you thank you thank you to this reviewer sir sharp thank you sir we love you and we appreciate you and y'all who are listening to this I'm telling you, get yourself on Apple Podcasts and write a review. Listen, so Tim, look, I have one. I got one. Can I? Can I get? Can I go? I got yeah, yeah, one. Yeah.
1: Right. Share the love, Jake. Listen. listen. Love. So I we we I found another one, and this one this one's good. Refreshing information. Five star review on this particular one by Honey Dip Thirty Four. Jake, you know who that might be? I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know. <laughs> Well listen, this sound, sound real sweet though. I sound real sweet. This is what Honey Dip says. It is awesome to hear men discussing real topics in a mature manner. This is for the grown and the sexy
0: crowd. Good mm. job, Tim and Jason. Man, I'll take that. I'll take that any day of the week and twice on Sunday. Listen, guys, we want you guys to go to Apple specifically
1: and write a review. If you're listening to this, we're encouraging you to go to Apple and write a review for us. That would be great.
0: Write a review for us. And for those of you who are listening for the first time, that's just something, a little something to let you know what kind of content we're dishing out here at motown philly listen jason and i are here to stay we're not going anywhere this podcast space is a space for us to engage and to leave the world to help to leave the world in a little bit of a better condition than when we found it thank you all for listening thank you all for your reviews thank you for your support jay i love you and i am absolutely in love with our motown philly listening family True. Now back to the podcast. Jay, you look like you've been chopping at the bit, man. You've been. Crying. I'm sorry. was i talking too
3: much. No no, 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 no. You're
1: not like you're. I mean, you're you're Vita Star, but you're also the content, and you're dropping like you're
3: <laughs> like yeah, you're like, dropping you fire.
1: So I just want it, to let it, yeah.
3: Novel.
0: I mean, uh, I'm sitting here, I'm sitting here, just listening to everything, and I'm like, man, this is everything we're about—the vulnerability, the level of intimacy, the communication, the connection, the sense of community that you're fostering, the self-awareness, Bruh, This is like every topic that we've covered this. Like far. my my heart, is like, and I, and I felt it when you start.
1: Are we are we back into the podcast? At, back into the yeah, podcast,
3: yeah.
1: <laughs> like. Uh, I when you started like 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 I told you like my heart was warming well my heart was warmed by just your intro and what you've been up to and and how you've been doing it and the idea of healing and that you are you are you're using yourself as an instrument for that um to a certain community and demographic who oh we know needs it so much and as you speak I'm just like how do we get you to Memphis and every other place? Like I've already been thinking, like you, we need a. If there's not a curriculum and that does that exists right now, Vita Star needs. And I already know what the name of the curriculum, the Vita Star curriculum, through for all inner cities and and there's something to be facilitated. It's it's a beautiful thing that needs to happen, uh, not just where you are, but all over this all over this uh, def- country, definitely
2: well thank you <laughs> I mean anybody down to hire me to come out I'm, I'm, I'm down you know I love training I love talking to people I love meeting people so yeah absolutely just know that you know I don't hold back and I will, I will call out institutions I will call out government so if you got a group of people that are sensitive to that just know I will set them on fire I'm not holding back, so (laughs) let them know.
0: Y'all need to understand. I told y'all we ain't playing around here, the Motown Philly podcast. Y'all gotta understand, we about that life, right, Jay? It's
1: crazy. It's
0: crazy. So we about bringing y'all content that's going to improve the world, because that's what we're trying to do, just a little bit at a time. We might not be able to fix everything, but we can leave it a little bit better off than often when we found it. And and I think that Vita, what what you're doing is just, man, you are you're you're almost like an angel, right? You are really a a powerful force for good. And and I, I'm just I'm just blown away by everything you said to us tonight because it's so timely, it's so relevant, it's so important and it's it's just it's so necessary so well
2: necessary. i appreciate the compliments guys i i definitely appreciate it i mean i just i care about this work um this is something i'm very passionate about i love my community and i'm, I'm down to support any other community I also train trainers so that's another thing that i do so if you want to be a trainer i also train you to become a trainer um it's something that i'm very i'm very passionate about because i i And could see how I could have benefited If the adults around me Have been able to support me When I was going through the things that I was going through If I had And I had some I had some people who you know That did the best they could Um, And I think that's I I will say this though There are definitely organizations that I was a part of as a kid That definitely I want to also say Was a part of my journey And we cannot take that lightly Even if you're not a parent even if you're not a teacher. But if you just have young people around you, if you have a young person in your life, you have nieces, you have nephews, you have little cousins, don't underestimate your role in their lives. I don't care what their mamas are telling you about their behavior. I don't tell, none of that matters. Connect with that child because you can make a huge difference. The way that we help, and I have a whole chart on this, but the way that we help make toxic stress more tolerable and by toxic stress, I mean, that's where the cortisol levels rise. Your heart's beating fast and it's actually becoming health damaging. So the reason why that's important, I'm going to get back to the main point in a second. But the reason why that's important to know is because we talk about, uh, Um, as, as long as we're going through a trauma, it's supposed to be go through your system, um, go through the stressful, get out of the danger, and then the cortisol levels are supposed to drop. But what happens when you're a child and the danger is your parent or the danger is your environment? Those cortisol levels are constantly high. Those glucose levels are constantly going up because that's what happens. The, the glucose pumps into your muscles when you're in danger, it puts you in fight or flight mode, mm-hmm. right? So when you're in that mode Your body is supposed to Get you out of danger So you can fight, flee a situation Or you, I mean sorry And once you're out of that situation Those cortisol levels are supposed to drop The glucose levels are supposed to drop Your, your heart's supposed to go back to a normal speed Your your pupils aren't, sp- aren't supposed to be um, Dilated anymore Your hair no longer standing on end Your body's supposed to calm down but when you're in an environment that's constantly dangerous for you, that never happens. So those, that cortisol becomes toxic to your body and your body's pumping so many chemicals that it's not supposed to be pumping out at the, it's at the proper time that when you do need them, you can't produce them or the receptors in your brain. So, that you, so for, what happens your hippocampus in your brain can no longer absorb the cortisol out of your body. They basically become um, like defunct. Mm-hmm. They can't absorb the cortisol out of your body And that cortisol stays in your system So we talk about toxic stress That's what we're talking about We talk about trauma, that's what we're talking about It's an actual physical thing That's happening in your body It's creating diseases in your body Inflammation, mm-hmm. right Now, when we mentor A young person When we become a close, protective, healthy relationship It literally Helps make that toxic stress more tolerable It makes it so their bodies can still function in a healthy way. So even though I was going through what I was going through at home. What helped mitigate some of the problems was I had after school program where I had youth staff that was very on point. There were men in my life in that program. This is why I always say it's important, especially for black men. Don't count yourselves out. I know a lot of these spaces, it's mostly women, but don't count yourselves out, black men, because it was black men in my life. That made me feel safe when my father was beating me at home. Mm. That's why I don't hate men today, right? That's important. There's a reason. There's you, a, had, you had
0: just as many men helping you feel safe as you did helping you as you did when you felt a threat.
2: Exactly, exactly. So that's important that we don't underestimate our roles in children's lives that we can help make that even though they're experiencing whatever it is they're experiencing, if you can't change what they're experiencing, but you you can be there for them when they're experiencing that, And that makes a huge difference. That helps them be able to make healthier decisions as they get older. So another thing that happens to our brains is as we're developing our ability to make healthy decisions, if we're constantly having to re- utilize our survival part of our brain, the other part of our brain, our neocortex, is not getting the proper development. And that's how you end up with someone who's 30 years old and still hyperreactive because they're still operating mostly out of their survival part of their brain, right? Um, These are things that are important to know because when we work with children or even looking at ourselves, you can begin to have more empathy for people. We tend to, that's, that's a part of building community. And the way you build more empathy is also through communication. How are you connecting with the people around you? How are you building understanding? Are you judging when you talk to people, when they tell you and share with you something that was difficult for them? Are you just trying to solve the problem? Well, I'm gonna just solve it for you. Cause you know, they're either A, they're your friend and you don't like seeing them hurt. Or two, you're in your own ego and you feel like you have to be the quote unquote superhero instead of just listening to what they have to say, (laughs) right? Are you being empathetic? What does that mean? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's okay to fix the situation if that's what they want. But if they're, not, if, that, if they're not at that stage yet, you're just jumping over that. The empathy part is way more important. So maybe they can solve their own problem. They just need you to hit listen to them, right? Being able to build connection is important. Um, that's how we begin to build community. And that's how we begin to really heal as individuals and as a people. Wow.
0: Jay. What you think about over there, man?
1: I'm just enjoying it. <laughs> That's all I got. I'm just enjoying it.
0: You're
1: enjoying it. Vita, you're enjoying yeah, Vita, we I'm just going to say we love you. Um, uh, we love you for who you are and the work that you're doing. Um it's it's beautiful. And I I don't know if you heard me correctly. Like you need a curriculum. Like you the work that you are doing is so important. It's not enough of you to go around, and I know that you're training other people. But it's just like their a curriculum gets inside. It's a, it's it's a system that gets inside an organization that then begins to become another type of type of you know this another type of organism that helps to promote uh, healthy behaviors and healthy like just healing and everything that you're talking about and it just gets into a culture and it becomes the it takes over the old organism because of what you're promoting is so so good talk to me a little bit about your training is it certified training like um is it like what what does it fall under is it a life coach like what is what is i'm in memphis and and say i say i interact with the school systems or want to interact with the school systems i show up and say hey i've been trained by vita star like what happens
2: (laughs) so what happened with me is i was actually trained by an organization called echo and echo is a school called echo parenting they have their own curriculum and they basically because i'd already been studying um well they kind of found me so i i will say this i'm an anomaly in the sense that most Most people don't get into this field the way I did. Just to Mm -hmm. be clear, Um, somebody found I, I, I got discovered at a birthday party at a kid's birthday party they discovered
1: like like, what know. were you doing that they discovered you like what, what was what was happening in that in that situation well,
2: you know, say listen, listen
0: you can't live in LA and not have a story about being discovered <laughs> discovered in, in some way like what was, way. what were you <laughs> doing
1: oh we beat her yo I just don't live in LA like I
0: know I do, I do something uh, in my life that needs I, to be discovered I can tell you what she did. She Yo, put pop eyes, lock. Vita she she, <laughs> put that lasso around him and made him tell the truth. Cause she wanted <laughs> Well,
2: well, no. What happened was, I was my friend's birth, my friend's kid's birthday, and I just came over, come to the party, just come to the birthday party, You know show love. And uh, the kids were just like all over the place, just running around the house and just chasing each other, and you know, having a good time. But they were trying to round the kids up for cake, ice cream and cake, and presents and all that. So, every, but the way they were doing it was everybody was trying to get their own child to go wash their hands and come to the table. So, the, but what happened, well, what happen is they would get a kid to the table because the other kids weren't at the table. One kid would go running off. And, you know, they, so nobody could figure out how to get all the kids to the table at one time, right? I come in because of my years of experience running after school programs and working with children. Um I, I got all the kids at once Cause I knew I knew you wasn't gonna get them One at a time That wasn't gonna work So <laughs> I got all the kids at once I was able to somehow Get them all in line Peacefully I wasn't screaming at him. wasn't yelling at him. They're not even, you know, I'm just some strange lady. I was afraid I might have been the only black woman in the space. because Everybody there was Latino except for one black other black guy was there. Right. Right. So there's this black lady just telling me, telling the kids to get in line. I I, was the way I did it. I made it fun. I said, Hey, we're going to have ice cream and cake. Let's get in line all together. You know, something that they understood. They get it in school. They understand. You know, we're going to get in line and get lined up to get uh, to get our hands washed. Um, cause they were all outside in the dirt and playing and stuff. So I had them all washing their hands. And, um, then I got them all lined up, you know, sitting down at the table. And then all of a sudden, all the parents were like, how did you do that? Like it was magic. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> and, um,
1: they're like, we want you, we want you
2: yeah well I decided so I was talking to a couple of the parents and then they were talking about my experience working with children and just different trainings and things that I trained I've taken you know in in my time working with children and next thing I know I look up there's literally like a half circle formed around me just listening to me talk I was I don't know how it happened I just looked up that, No, was, that doesn't surprise me Because you'd be dropping <laughs> bars Right, right uh, You'd be surprised how often That actually happens to me um, I'm, not, I'm not surprised at all Peter. It still surprises me Because I'd just be running my mouth And so um, <laughs> And then like there, It turned out there was a One woman was there Was a child psychologist So she's backing up Everything that I'm saying And then this uh, other black guy that was there, he was the parent of one of the other children there. And he goes, Hey, I know this organization named Echo. I think they might be hiring. You should hit them up. You should email me. I was like, okay, cool. And at this time I was Uber driving. I was, you know, coming out of my whole depression and all of that stuff. But, um, I had no interest in applying for another job because it was just the stress of that. I just did not, I don't like applying for jobs. I don't like job interviews. I was going to, I was working on a business at the time. I was going to focus on that. Um. So I ignored it. I want to say like a week or so later, these people went and found me on Instagram. I guess oh, he wow. told them about me because it's come to find out he was on the board of this organization. He never mentioned that.
3: Mm-hmm. I
2: found out later he went there and told them about me. They went on Instagram to find me. Um and then they asked me to just come in for an interview. I go in for the interview, it wasn't even like an interview. It was like they were trying to within 5 minutes. It was like they were trying to sell me the job. Yeah,
1: they, needed, they knew they knew, <laughs> you know. They knew what they wanted. <laughs>
2: And so they're an organization that certifies people In um, trauma informed care and and Things like that so and then they hire You to go train but the way that they look at it They don't even care that much about degrees as much as they care About experience and Um what you have you experienced Trauma and how what have you you done To on your healing journey and Do you have you know experience working with children And families and things like that Um and that's how I got hired then they Started training me they make make you study A whole lot um they have you Going to trainings um and then i had to like i said study train with them then i got certified through them and then the rest is history
0: oh, she wrote <laughs> uh, wow the discovery but, but
3: i was this. gonna say,
2: also say uh while i get trained to teach through their curriculum what happened also if people would just randomly ask me can i get you to teach my group so that's how i ended up teaching my own curriculum and well not my curriculum well, my my own presentation but mm. um that's how I ended up teaching my own trainings and things like that so it basically started with echo and then people would see me train and they would say I want you to teach this or can you take this down to an hour and just train my group or whatever so
1: you're a consultant
2: (laughs) something like that
3: (laughs) you are
1: I love it hopefully you're charging lots of money if they have it, if they have budget for it. But if not, it's a ministry. I get it. That's the service. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Well, if if it's a organization that that's where it's budgeted, a, they pay me good.
0: That's <laughs> the entrepreneur in Jason. Jason, <laughs> I
2: Jason, get it. Yeah, it's too much.
1: God. Yeah, it's too much under under compensation going on around here. Jokers are no. just trying to live.
2: That's definitely fair. That's definitely fair. And I've definitely dealt with my fair share of undercutting myself. And that's also another thing we do. Um, and I got—I actually have therapy for this for imposter syndrome and I'm still seeing this therapist because when you have like I, the way I was raised with this narcissistic parent where you can't see your own accomplishments as your own mm-hmm. um, it makes it difficult for you to you know charge people what you deserve because mm-hmm. you don't see yourself as mm-hmm. deserving I still that's, struggle writing invoices
1: that's very like, interesting
2: I, I delay writing an invoice <laughs> I hate writing invoices it, it, how crazy is that and when I talk to my therapist, he's like, you don't like to get paid. <laughs> it's like, I like getting paid. I just feel guilty. I don't know what it is. I don't listen, like writing invoices. So listen, I still, that's still some things I struggle with, you know,
1: listen, I'm putting Tim on blast. Tim, uh, me being the speaker's mechanic and Tim being the speaker who goes out and gets and does talks as well and, and lectures and, uh, shares his act, his academic, uh, prowess and just as freely as the sun is shining like bro i'm i'm always on him like yo how much are they paying you from flying from clear to one coast to the other and are they putting you up and are they paying for the ticket and he's just like well they gave me lunch and i'm just like bro stop just
0: we have to stop that just
1: stop it bro Uh,
0: to 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 my credit I will stand up for myself here and say that I've gotten better with that. It's a
2: practice. It's like the boundary thing, right?
0: Yeah. In fact, I've gotten so good at it that I I accepted one speaking engagement and they not only did they fly me where I needed to go, but they flew me first class. And I thought that was just nice.
1: And 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 I told him he shouldn't expect less. He should not expect
3: less after and, that. And when
0: you when you got to get up at four thirty in the morning pacific time and to get on a flight that's leaving and you know you got to drive an hour to get to where you're going to leave and it's dark when you leave and it's early january and it's 20 degrees here in washington and you got to go all day because you got to get to north carolina first class makes a difference believe me so oh, i believe you yeah, yeah, it it makes a difference.
2: We wow. got to stop undercutting ourselves like we have to. I think we don't because well, especially those of us who experience certain types of trauma where we don't see ourselves as valuable. We don't see ourselves as worthy. Right. It makes it easy for us to count ourselves out mm-hmm. and we'll tell ourselves, oh, I don't deserve this. I didn't I didn't really earn this. I'm not worth this much. Mm-hmm. It's easy to tell yourself that because you basically been told that your whole life by somebody. Somebody made you feel like that. And that's something that I realized too. Someone has made me feel like I wasn't worthy. Someone has made me feel like I wasn't valuable. And it's not true. It's not true. I have my boss now always tells me I always have this fear of making a mistake. So one of my bosses now, she's always like, You can't be afraid to make a mistake and you can't be afraid of getting feedback. Mm-hmm. Just because, because the thing is in my head is feedback and mistakes come with a price because that's what I've been taught as a child. It comes up. You're going to you, be you're going to be made to suffer greatly as opposed to just taking feedback as a way to just learn to do better. Mm-hmm. And My boss had to tell me like, hey, if we make a mistake, I'll just come in and say next time. This is what we're going to do. Don't worry mm-hmm. about it so much. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to lose your job over one small mistake. Let's just relax. You yeah, know? That,
1: that's healthy. That's
0: very healthy. Very healthy. So, so healthy. Well, Vita, Vita, you know this conversation can go on forever. And to the to the our listeners here, at Motown Philly, I just want y'all to appreciate everything Vita did for us this week, and just do your best to drink in every word that she spoke because this will not be her last time here at Motown Philly. Vita, you need to know that we will very likely call upon you with some regularity to come back and continue to take this brand of podcast to a higher level with each of your appearances because you have done a ton for this podcast this week. And Jason, I know you, you want to say thank you in your own way, so I'll leave that to you. But Vita, thank you so much for being with us. You have thank you. really, you have really, really upped our game here at Motown Philly. And all I can say is thank you.
2: Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Vita Star. We want you back. We love you. <laughs>
3: <Absolutely>. <laughs>
2: thank you. I love you guys. This You're is great.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs>
2: I can't wait to have you guys back on Champagne Sharks. You guys are definitely coming back. So oh,
0: that is, that will be awesome. Vita, where can people find you on social media if they need to get in touch with you about uh, doing a workshop or something of that nature? How can people find you?
2: You can find me at Vita Star on Instagram. You can find me on Twitter at Lifestar Media. Um, I will say this on if you follow me on Twitter I'll be saying some wild shit on there so Just don't be alarmed um, yeah. sometimes, I'm, sometimes I'm trolling So I, I troll When I see ridiculous conversations and you see me jump in and say something even more ridiculous than the ridiculous Conversation I'm trolling um, <laughs> I also I have this running joke that I can't cook Just just, just go with it um, <laughs> And then uh, you can also email me star at gmail.com um, that's a great way to catch me. I'm also on Champagne Sharks, so just Google Champagne Sharks. We're everywhere. We're on Instagram. Um, yeah, we're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. You can find us on um, Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all the podcast apps. You can also find I, I'm not on this podcast, but I produce this podcast. It's called Parenting for Liberation um, with Trina Green. So I highly check that. Uh, highly recommend that podcast. Um, it's a uh, she's a great host. Um, I produce it. I come up with the content. So a lot of it you'll. And she's she's also very well versed in a lot of this. She teaches. Uh, positive discipline which is very similar to trauma-informed nonviolent parenting um, but it's a great podcast I check it out we talk about all t- types of things from both the personal perspective and the sociological perspective we talk about important issues such as black youth suicide which I don't think it's n- enough attention especially right now because our rates have been rising Especially our black boys, and the thing is, black girls th- have been increasing as well. And it's it's sad because the rate that gr- black girls are increasing in their suicide suicidality is um it's starting it's starting to almost catch up to black boys, which is already horrendous in itself too. So we have to start looking at what's happening to our children and our young people, and you know that's really important. So check out that podcast, and again, you can find me in all those places. Vita Star V I D A s-t-a-r-r there are two r's it's not vita v-i-t-a oh, people who spell it all types so of b-e-e-d-a it's v-i-d-a-s-t-a-r-r thank you guys
0: all right vita thank you and soon enough folks we're gonna just vita's gonna be able to say y'all could find me on the motown philly podcast because i'll be on there you know doing <laughs> So there you guys have me. I'm, I'm definitely down. <laughs> Thank
2: for, you. Jay, where can they find you
0: at, man?
1: You can find me on Instagram. That's where I hang out most of the time. The speakers mechanic. You can find me on Instagram. The speakers mechanic. If you want to look me up professionally and you want to work with me as a communication skills coach and you need some, you need, you got some problems going on with communicating, right? Whether it's, whether it's communicating, whether it's connecting, whether it's just creating community, whether it's getting your 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 name out there as far as with your business and you're having difficulties and challenges, making sure that you're trying to communicate in a professional space, yo, get at me and we can hook up. Find me on LinkedIn at Jason Hall, uh communication skills coach as well. Tim, where can we find you, bro?
0: You can find me on Instagram at a good golden man. You can find me on Twitter at esq. You can find me on Facebook at Tim Golden. Three things in life are certain, Jason and Vita, Death, taxes, and I am the only black man in Walla Walla, Washington, named Tim Golden. I guarantee it. Walla Walla, the city, so nice, you had to say it twice. Wow, folks, episode 33 of the Bowtown Philly podcast Has come to an end. All good things must come to an end. This one must now as well. Enjoy this content, and we just gonna keep bringing you more. So again, thanks so much, V to V the Star, Jason Hall, Jay. Episode thirty three next week. Episode thirty four. Until then, take care of yourself. Love yourself, and love love each other.
1: Later, guys. We out.